Well, good evening, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11. Last week, we looked at uh, the 10th chapter. And let's just read the first 13 verses together, and then we'll get into this. Let's read it together. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, and surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David." For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow, fully follow the Lord as did his father David. And then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, and I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. A very difficult time, no doubt, uh, in Solomon's life. And in any novel or in any story that you might see, whether it's a movie, a book, or a play, usually there are five parts of a story plot. And those five parts are the introduction where you have some uh, exposition of the characters and who they are, and then you have rising action. And then finally, you have the climax of the movie where everybody's on pins and needles, and then you have falling action. And then at the very end, you have the resolution of the story. Now, obviously, the life and the reign of Solomon is not a novel, but his life and his reign, as given to us in First Kings, follows a similar pattern, as does Saul and also David. In fact, of, when you look at all of the first and second kings, uh, and, and all of Samuel was really dedicated mostly to Saul and, and mainly David. And these first 11 chapters are all about Solomon. So there's more ink on the page, if you will, for Saul and David and David's son Solomon. And each one of those three, you could fit into this kind of uh, plot um, form, if you will. And I just was looking at this today with just thinking about this. 
because we're going to see the very end of Solomon. We're going to see his falling action now. Last week, we looked at the climax of his life when all of his wealth and his flame, his fame, not his flame, but his fame, were on display. It gives us all of the, the, the peoples that came to him. Certainly, Queen of Sheba was one of them. And just all of the wealth that Solomon had acquired and all the deals and all the trades that he had with all these different countries and with Tyre, king of Sidon. And uh, so he became a very wealthy man. But last week, chapter 10 was the climax of his ministry. And tonight we're going to see the falling action and ultimately the conclusion or the denouement, as they would say in French. Um, that's, what, that's just what they use. But I looked at it and, and I was thinking of the exposition and you could, you could look at the verses or chapters one through four could be seen as the exposition of his life and in his reign because Solomon, as his reign begins, he's making amends and he's preparing his own administration. And then chapters five through nine, you can see the rising action, Solomon beginning to build the temple and also building his own palatial complex and all of the other things. And then last week, chapter 10, we saw the very climax of his ministry where his wealth and fame was really at the pinnacle, and then tonight, the falling action. And then in this chapter too, in this chapter as well, I should say, we will see in verse 41 through 43, Solomon's conclusion, the end of his ministry, of his reign. And Galatians has this to say, and this is a verse we know very well. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And you recall that God had given Solomon much accountability. God had, and David had given his son much accountability. But we're just going to look at two different passages tonight. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. This is the very first time that God spoke to Solomon. And this was after David had already spoken to Solomon personally. David had spoke to Solomon in front of all of the nation of Israel. And now God speaks to him the very first time in 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, going down through verse 14. Notice what it says. And here at the very beginning of his ministry, it says, The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant, my, my father, David, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness with him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have get, made your servant uh, uh, instead of my father, David, but I'm just a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, you ask what I want, Lord, I'm going to tell you, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And this, notice verse 10, it says, the speech Please the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, because you've asked for this thing. 
And you have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for your, yourself for understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Notice the tense there. It's a done deal. God had already, at that moment, even be, I believe when Solomon was born, it was already there because God knew and he, he's just going to enable it now. And he's going to say, Solomon, I've already done it. I've already done it. I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before, nor shall there be anyone arise after you. And I have also given you what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that there shall be no one like you among the kings all your days. And here's the accountability from God. So, if you walk in my ways... To keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now turn with me to chapter 9. So God is basically saying, Solomon, I'm going to tell you in advance. And by this time, he has heard this quite often. And again, God doesn't waste words. He only says what's necessary to be said. And folks, I want to encourage you with something. As you read the Word of God and as you go to Bible studies and you hear messages and sermons or whatever, understand that we need the repetition. And and the fact that uh, our lives prove that we need the repetition. We need to hear it again and again and again because you just never know when that word that we're going to hear is going to take root in our heart. And we may be going through something. And aren't we all, isn't it true that we're all going through these seasons of life? We are. We're we're moving in and out of seasons. We're changing little by little. And God, in every single circumstance of our life, every single day is moving and he's changing us. Whether we're aware of it or not, especially if we're submitted to him, he's doing all of this work in us. And we need to hear at every single moment of our life the very basics, the foundation. You know, in the NFL and every other sport, you know what they focus on? They don't focus on all the fancy tricks and all that stuff. You know what they focus on? The basics. They still, NFL professional players, they, they work on tackling. They work on the very basics because the basics are, is what's going to win the game. It's not the fancy footwork and you know, doing all these crazy things and then tossing it back and this guy tossing it back and then somebody kicks it and fumbles it and picks it up. You know, it's not all that stuff. It's the very basic things, how to block, how to you know, get into it. And the same thing is true with us. What we have before us is very simple, but we need to hear it. We need to hear it over and over again. That's why Jesus often repeated himself. And that's why God here in Solomon's life saw fit to make sure that David or that Solomon heard it from his father at least on two occasions. The Lord spoke to him on on at least two occasions. This man was quadruply at least accountable because he had heard it so much. Solomon, if you follow and keep my statutes and my judgments, notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 9. It says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house, see what God had spoken to him before was before any of this happened. Now after the temple's built, his palace is built, everything is done, there's a big celebration, there's a big dedication, the fireworks display is over, now he's resting and God speaks to him again. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all of Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, 
Notice that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon, which is what we just read. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house, which you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And notice verse 4, here's the accountability again. Now, if you, walk, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then, here's those conditional promises, right? Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if, there it is again, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why? Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And then they will answer, because they forsook Jehovah God, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them, and therefore the Lord has brought all of this calamity on them. And remember, there were only a few good kings in Judah, only a handful the northern ten tribes, as we're going to see in subsequent chapters, they're all going to be evil. But there was only a small handful in, in, in the southern tribes, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that would be any good. And certainly David and Solomon uh, were one of them. Uh, but we had you know, Asa and Jehoshaphat and Jotham and Hezekiah and Josiah, to name a few. But go with me now to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. Because we're going to see again God's warning, and then we're going to see the life. And it's an unfortunate thing. You know, I don't know what it is. I think it's just part of sinful man. We don't learn the first time. Very rarely do we learn when somebody tells us. I never listened to, I listened to my mother and my dad when he was alive when I was really young. You know, I, I listened to them, but I didn't, you know, I thought I could do better and I thought that I could do it and maybe not even get caught. But you know, life has a way of catching up. And life has a way of making, the Lord allows you to get away with something a lot. Sometimes somebody does something and they do it once and they get busted. And other people, they get away with it for years. And then all of a sudden, when they've gotten really comfortable in that sin and they're unrepentant, God allows something in their, their sin to be exposed. And so we never need, we never should take that for granted. We, we need to really listen. You know that word Shema, listen, or hear, O Lord, our, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The word hear is the word Shema, and that, that, that with that word, it carries with it, not just hear, with your hearing ears. It includes that, but it means that now that I've heard it, now I'm going to put feet on it and do it. There's obedience attached with the hearing. That's what Shema is. That's why when he says, hear, O, hear, o Israel, 
You shall love the Lord your God. Hear it. Hear it and do it. Love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right? But notice the warning again in Deuteronomy 17. Beginning in verse 14, notice what the Lord says. Before they even go into the promised land, God tells them, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. Have we seen Solomon do that? The last chapter we looked at, the, the previous chapter that, in, 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 in chapter 9, we saw him amassing horses and chariots and building chariot cities. And one of those we visit when we go to Israel in Megiddo. It's very easy to see. The stables are right there. You can see them. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. And that's what he did. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, and neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Now, this was spoken long before Solomon was born. Hundreds of years before Solomon was born. God spoke this to them, knowing what was coming. See, God, as you know, he has this wonderful... uh, these wonderful traits about himself that only he possesses. These characteristics, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, only he has those. No one else, the devil, no demon, nobody, no single human, no human or angelic being has that except for God. So he knows all things. When he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, he means it. He, he's seen it all. He dwells outside of time. He dwells outside in eternity where he dwells. He can see time as if it's already completed. He has already seen when you were born, when you were conceived. Before you were conceived, he knew you. Isn't that what he told Jeremiah? And he knew exactly what your life would consist. He didn't intervene in the sense of making you do anything. He gave you information and waited for you to respond to him. And he still does that today. He doesn't make you do anything. You are not a robot. You are in full control of what you do. And you're responsible for your actions. I'm responsible for my actions. But God, God has a wonderful ability because he is who he is. He knows what I'm going to choose. He doesn't force me to do anything. I, everything that happens in my life that's negative, it's because I made, I, I'm the one who you know, brought that upon myself. And Solomon did the same thing. Notice, you shall not multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Didn't we just read that in chapter 11, the first 13 verses? Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. He did that too. God gave him so much. And we don't know where that line of demarcation is. Where is that line in in all of Solomon's wealth where God says, you know, Solomon, I've given you this. Is that enough? (laughs) But isn't it true that the human heart says, no, there is, I want more. I want more. I I don't want to be rich. I want to be stinking rich. I want when I walk along the street that $100 bills are falling off my shoes. And because I make so much money, it's not worth my time to pick them up. Because if I stoop stoop, stoop down to pick up the $100 bill, I'd actually lose. Because time is money, right? And my time is much more valuable than picking up $100 bills. 
But that's the way it was with Solomon. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of the kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of the law of this in, in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord as God. Yes, to learn to fear him, certainly to reverence him, no doubt, to reverence God and we all ought to do that. But you know what? It's healthy to actually fear him. <laughs> to dread, to have the dread I mean, you and I, we've been saved by grace, and, and, and so we're not going to be going to hell or anything like that. I don't need to fear God because of what he's going to do to me because the relationship is completely different now, right? But I do. I, we should have a healthy fear of him, but also, now that, especially now that we've been saved, we, we have this reverence and love. It changes. But before I was saved, I was f- afraid of God. Would to God that more people were afraid of God. Because most people don't think he exists. They don't even care to know him. They think that they could care less. They just live their lives like he doesn't exist. But he does exist. And it's important for us to obey him. That's what brought me to Christ was fear. Honestly, initially. I was afraid of burning in hell for eternity because that's what somebody had the guts to tell me. Folks never remove the teeth from the gospel. Because had that person, had this gentleman who led me to Christ, had he smoothed it over and said, oh, that, you know, don't worry about that. God is a good God. He'll accept you just the way you are. You know what? There, there'd be, what? Who is this God then? You know? But he challenged me in my sin. And I was afraid. <laughs> That's a good thing. But then my fear turned into a reverence, and now the love relationship was there. And I knew I wasn't going to go to hell because Christ paid the price. But notice what it says. That he may learn to fear the Lord as God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children's children in the midst of Israel. So let's look at, so, so there it is. The, the, there's the accountability. That, that's what the law has spoken to Solomon. It told him in Deuteronomy, God spoke to him on two different occasions. But David, or excuse me, but Solomon, if you walk with me and you follow me, my, my statutes, then I will, I will you, there'll never be a man to, see, to cease to be a man on the throne forever. But notice in verse 1, but, underline or circle that word because it's setting up a comparison with what happened in the previous chapter. His fame and his fortune was being told to us and his popularity, which is nothing wrong, nothing wrong with being famous and there's nothing wrong with being popular, especially if you got there, if your popularity is because you're a good person. But now the... The key changes to minor now. (laughs) And now we're going to see Solomon's fall. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, notice, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He clung to these ladies in love. 
In 1 Kings chapter 3, we learn first that he married Pharaoh's daughter, who was an Egyptian. Should he have done that? No, he shouldn't have. Kings would often intermarry to have treaties with one another. In order to have some kind of relationship with this king, you know, maybe either the king would um, marry one of his daughters or whatever, and that kind of kept this treaty in place. And, and it was a very common thing to do. But Solomon wasn't supposed to do this. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is the longer version of the, of the version that I normally give you. But I, wanna, I want you to see this. Um, because I think it's a little more complete, and I think it's more applicable, and there's a little bit more in here to show us. Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. Notice what the Lord says to Solomon, or says to the children of Israel, and this certainly applies to Solomon right now. <laughs> it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when your Lord delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so that the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, burn their carved images with fire, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And I, would, I think the Lord would say that to us today, even as his, his bride, the church. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Notice, a special treasure he spoke to Israel, above all the peoples on the face of the earth, even us Gentiles, yes. And the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any other people, for you are the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which I command you today. Notice, to observe them. And so you read that, and then you put that into context with what we just read here in 1 Kings 11. And now it's like, it's front and center. There's no way of avoiding the accountability here. There's no way of avoiding the warnings and God was so gracious with Solomon. He gave him so many opportunities, as he does us as well. How many times have we heard about adultery? How many times have we heard adultery is a sin and fornication being a sin? And yet in the church, it's just as rampant as it is in the world. And so if you're, if you're dabbling with those kind of things, if you're living together and you're fooling around and doing those things, you're in sin. 
And you need to knock it off. (laughs) Because God is going to hold you accountable. Folks, it's sin. And we can't play footloose and fancy free with it any longer. And you know what? It's time that we in the church wake up. It's time that we wake up. It's time that we take the Lord serious and not get to the point where we're so comfortable with God. We're like, oh, he's the man upstairs. You know, I hear people talk like that, and they don't even know who God is when they talk like that. Yeah, it's okay. You know, we're like pals. You know, he's going to turn a blind eye to this. You know, he knows I you know, do this every now and then, and so it's good, right? And, and, and no, it's not. It's not right. You need to repent of your sin. <laughs> Drop to your knees and ask him to forgive you. And don't play games, especially now, especially whenever, but especially now when the world, our country needs to see us, the church, it needs to see us believing what we, what we're, what we proclaim. They're not going to believe it if they're not seeing it in our lives. They're not going to listen to us if they don't see the love, if they don't see the grace, if they don't see the repentance and the hard line that we take with sin, that we don't laugh at the dirty jokes, that we don't watch the shows that everybody else watches. We don't go and and hang out at the bar and have a couple until we get a little lightheaded and just get a little buzz on. No, we we don't need to be doing any of that stuff. And yet many do. They continue to flirt with these things. And you get so close to the edge, and you do it enough, you do it enough, what happens? You get a little numb to it. Your heart becomes a little seared. Each time you do it, you get away with it, and you don't stop it. What happens is your heart develops like a film over it. And then pretty soon, you're no longer concerned about it any longer. And then you find that the Satan, God even allows it, he'll allow Satan to Spring the trap and your, your, your career is over. Your marriage is over. Maybe you've got uh, some kind of disease now or some kind of addiction now as a result of your playing with the world. And Solomon did that. The wisest man in the world. And he got away from God. Yes, he worshipped God, he worshipped Jehovah, but it, he, it wasn't single in his life like David. Now, did David have his issues? We know that David had issues. We know that it's chronicled for us, his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. But were those things going to send David to hell after he repented and truly? No, they weren't. The sword wouldn't depart from his house and he would be a changed man and, and, and it would follow him for the rest of his life. That was the consequence of David's sin. But David never had a problem with with worshiping false idols and false gods. You never saw him bowing down to Chemosh or setting up a wooden pole for Ashtoreth, the goddess of sex and fertility. You never saw him do that. You never saw him offering one of his firstborn to, to Molech in his fiery arms as the child would incinerate. He didn't do that. His eye, his heart, that's why the Bible could say he had, a, he, had, he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart. That's why the Bible can say it. That's why God can say, your, your father was upright before me. Yes, he made some mistakes, and he's, he, that's been atoned for, and he repented. That's a difference, isn't it? 
It doesn't, if you fall down, what, what's the best thing you can do? Get, right back on your, get back on your knees first, pray to God for forgiveness, and ask him for the gift of repentance. And if you keep falling over that thing, you keep, you keep confessing it, and you keep coming before him, and you, you get to the point where you hate that more, just like God hates it, and then you'll stop. <laughs> but probably not until then. Until you hate it like God hates it, you're probably not going to stop. And so ask, God, would you give me a hatred for my sin the way you hate it and do it sooner than later, Lord, because I like that thing. Whatever it is, I enjoy it too much. I'm not quite ready, even as a Christian, I'm just not quite ready to hand over the keys to that dark area in my heart. And you're going to live a life miserable. You're going to have no witness. You're going to feel washed up. You're going to feel dirty. Even though you've been saved, even though if you got hit by a car that day or you died, you'd go to heaven, but your heart is so wounded because of your sin and you, you, know, you keep slipping on it and you keep slipping on it. You don't make any attempt and finally you just kind of throw in the towel and you just, people do that. But folks, we can't let that happen. We need to hold the line, especially today. Especially today, people need to see it. But notice Solomon, verse 2, clung to these in love. And you've heard me say this before, but in Hebrew, there's only one word for love, and it's ahab or ahav. That's where you get the ahava products from the Dead Sea. That's what that means. It means love because you're loving yourself when you smear that black mud all over your arms and your face and then you wash after a while and you get smooth baby skin again. You're basically loving. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm, not, I'm just having fun with the word. But it's, only, it's one word. The Bible doesn't, uh, in Hebrew doesn't differentiate from the different types of love. We have to discern that through the context. We know it in context, like we do in English. We say we love our car, and we love our wife, and we love God, but we know that there's different levels of love. Same thing here, but he loved these, he clung to these, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, so he had 1,000 women in his life, and as you know this, polygamy was common in the Middle East, in the Near East, and, um, but it certainly was not wise, and it wasn't God's design. God allowed it, but it wasn't his best. Remember what he said to Adam and Eve. Remember what happened when God put Abraham to sleep. The Lord caused, and this is in Genesis 2, verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib, which the Lord had taken from the man, he, had, he, he made into a woman. The, the material was already there. The DNA was already there. He didn't need to create another woman from the dust. He made man, and woman means out of man, because she came out of him, right where the heart is. Right behind that rib is where the heart is, and God took her from that same area. I love that. How much does God love the bride of Christ? It was right on his heart. And Adam said, God made her and brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too, they too shall become one flesh. Not they thousand shall become one flesh. As soon as Solomon began to multiply things, wives and concubines and princesses, his nightmare began. Not because there was something wrong with the ladies, 
But God told him, didn't he, in Deuteronomy, you shall not multiply wives. But he did. You shall not multiply horses, but he did. You shall not amass gold and hoard it like you're doing, Solomon. And how much is enough, Solomon? I've made you wealthy. You're a big shot. Everybody, everyone from all over the world is coming to see you. But that's not enough. I want more. And you know, you know what I think is true about Solomon? And I think this is interesting. Is that he truly knew both sides of the coin. God wouldn't want us to flirt with darkness so that we would have an understanding of the truth and the reality of darkness. Because the darkness, in involving ourselves in the darkness, what does it do? It destroys us and ultimately could destroy us. But like David, having known the bitter pill that comes, the consequence that comes after the sin, they have something to say about it. And they can tell us about it. And it would behoove us to listen to them and say, man, you know, when you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 after David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba, you read that and it just scares the daylights out of every man. It should. You know, if you're hanging around and doing things, read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 and let it quake you a little bit. Let it shake your tree a little bit because it's supposed to do that. But they were to become one flesh. And how can he become one flesh with a thousand women? God told him not to do it, but he did it anyway. For it was so when Solomon was old, notice that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to Jehovah God. To, that's what that, when you see the Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, that, that, that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. That is God the Father in all of his effulgence. That's the covenant-making, keeping God. And he was not loyal to the Lord as God, as was the heart of his father, David. Notice that. David, yes, even with all of his mistakes, God says, oh, I love that man. Because he made the big mistakes, he repented, he was broken, and he went after me with all of his heart. See, that's the way to turn things around. If you've really stepped in it, and you've really made a mess of your life, the best thing you can do, the greatest glory you can bring to God is to say, I'm taking a 180 now, and I'm going the other direction, and I'm never going back there again. I even smell it, and I'm out of there. That is the perfect way to do it. And you glorify God. And you, you listen to him because he told you to begin with. And you know, it's interesting. There seems to be something in the heart. And, and ladies, take this carefully. And hopefully I can be careful with this. I'm not picking on you, but I think there's something. Men have a lot of problems. We have inherent sin issues. And women do too. And, and maybe you can understand this. And hopefully I can do this rightly. In Genesis 3, it says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. And this is what he said to, uh, to, to Eve. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And this was the, the result, the consequence of her uh, being, you know, falling into and being deceived and, and eating of the fruit and then giving it to her husband. This was the result. This was the consequence. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
I want you to think about that for a minute because that word desire literally means to stretch out after. And the root of that word is a, 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 word, a Hebrew word called suk, which means to run after or over, to overflow. In other words, to take authority over is what I believe it means. To take authority over. It, it, it was in her sin nature now, and her desire was to over to take authority over her husband. But, and you can tell that that's exactly what it means because it says, God says, but your husband shall rule over you. It doesn't mean that God is somehow chauvinistic. He's just saying as a result of that desire now in your fallen nature, you're going to want to overpower him. You're going to want to have authority over him, but he is going to rule over you. And see, in our culture, it's all flipped around. Now men have abdicated their authority in the scripture, their, their, their roles as men. And, now they're, and women will gladly fill in those voids because they have to. Somebody has to. I'm not saying that they should, but they do because the job's got to get done. And if the men aren't going to do it, there's always some lady who's very talented who can do the same thing. She may not be as strong as a man, but she may be smart as a whip and can do things, make things happen. Meanwhile, the man's sitting playing video games in his shorts, watching TV all day, eating junk food, laying around getting fat. His wife is the one doing all the, all the hard-hitting, all the work, paying the bills, washing the dishes, washing the clothes, and he's just a slob hanging around the house. Yes, I said the word slob. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm <laughs> I mean, if, if you're getting convicted, brother, I don't know. <laughs> no, but you, you see my, my point? And so here, now Solomon's got, he's got a thousand of these women now who have that sin nature, and they're going to rule over him. And is that, that what they did? You better believe it. And I don't think they were intentionally meaning to do it. Solomon abdicated. He, whatever authority he had, he just kind of, he's like, man, I got all these beautiful girls around. I mean, think about it, guys. A thousand ladies. I mean, and, and harems, that's what, that's what they had. Harems. And, he, and, and, and all these ladies are probably the best-looking princesses you've ever seen. And so he is in that really precarious position, and now they are ruling over him. And now whatever they say. Isaiah said this, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. This is Isaiah 3, verse 11. For the reward of his hand shall be given to him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you, who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. And Solomon freely abdicated, willingly abdicated his authority. And whenever, again, men don't walk in their God-given authority, women will fill in that gap. So guys, we need to wake up. We need to be the men that God made us to be. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. That means we gotta, we got to shun those things, the, the, the male stereotypes. There's a lot of stereotypes for men and women. We need to cast those things out and not let the culture dictate to us how we should be. We need to look at, at the Word of God and realize that a man is a real man. He's not a, uh, you know, go by the pronoun of she or it or whatever it is. I don't know. You know, a man is a man. He dresses like a man. He sounds like a man. He does man things. There's so much fun I could have with this, but I'm not. 
You, you know what I'm talking We're living in it. We're living in Sodom and Gomorrah right now. So men have abdicated that. And so Solomon is, is getting really lax here. And, and it says that his heart was not loyal, verse 4, to his God as was the heart of his father David. You know, again, um, David didn't have a problem with spiritual adultery. But Solomon did. He was flirting around with other gods. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the, the goddess of sex and fertility. And, and certainly with all these ladies, he had plenty of opportunities uh, to worship that god. And so, you know, Solomon had it all. And Solomon did evil in the sight, verse 6, uh, in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as David, his father, did. Notice how many times God says that. He's always telling Solomon, remember your father David? Remember your father David? Yes, he messed up. But you remember how his heart was? He was single after me. He followed after me. And there was, it was always about me. It wasn't about all these other abominations that David knew about. No. And it says, Then Solomon built, notice, a high place for Chemosh, the abominations of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, which is the Mount of Olives, uh, and, and Molech, the abomination of the people of Amnon. And, and he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God who had appeared to him twice. Now, when we, we read that, the Lord became angry with Solomon. Didn't God know this from the very beginning? Why do you think he spoke to him so often about it? Because he knew it was in his heart. That's why God spoke to him as often as he did. And God could have been angry with Solomon as soon as he was born. He could have just come down in flame and fire and just consumed Solomon, knowing what he was going to do. But God never does that. Why? Because he lets the person, he, he allows them the free choice to do what God has said. And, and that's exactly what happened. He waited for Solomon. He warned him many times. And then finally, when he did it, God says, Solomon, I'm angry with you. I told you. And so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And he had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep. He didn't keep what the Lord had commanded. This word in the Hebrew is really wonderful. It means to guard and to protect, to preserve or to watch. And it's so wonderful because in Proverbs we see it's not the exact same word, but we get the idea in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart, keep your heart, watch it, be diligent, guard over it with all diligence for out of it spring forth the issues of life. And then in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, what does it say? Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which, which we have heard. The things which we have heard, we've got to listen to them and, and do them lest we drift away lest we drift away. This word only occurs once in the New Testament. In Hebrews, this word drift away, it's a nautical term. It's a nautical term. I remember, um, and you can relate to this too, if you've ever been on the eastern seaboard uh, in the summertime swimming and the waves are coming in off the Atlantic. I remember swimming and being out there and body surfing the waves. And, and I'd be out there in front, all of our family's towels and umbrellas and stuff like that are right here, and I'm out there playing in the surf. And I did this when, when I was in my 20s and 30s, and um, the waves would pummel me on the beach. I'd go back out, and then they'd pummel me. And before long, what was happening is 
finally, after about an hour of me out there playing in the surf, I didn't know where I was. I thought everybody had left the beach. But then I looked down the beach, and they're way over there. I had no idea that the water had taken me little by little, because it did this kind of thing. And I, and I was slipping away. I was unaware of, of it even happening. Because I wasn't focused on my, my stationary point, which is where the family was. I was just having fun, and the waves were just doing this to me. A similar thing happened when we were out in the Gulf of Mexico. I'll never forget it. We were out fishing miles off the coast, couldn't even see land, threw out the anchor. We thought the anchor had caught. In fact, it did catch, and, and probably on a coral head or something like that. But the, the boat moved, and the thing came undone, and we were dragging that anchor for miles. We had no idea because there was no focal point around. All we saw was water, and for hours, we were just floating with the tide. We had no idea. And we were miles away from where we had started. It's the idea behind this. We, you know, what, what does he say in, in, in uh, Hebrews? Give the more enus earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's the idea. It slips. You're not even aware of it. The little things that we do, and before long, we're just not even aware of, of, the, of, the, of the destruction of them, and it just kind of sneaks up behind us. We're not even aware it's happening. And little by little, we think we're getting away with it. And, and that's the way sin is. That's the way Satan gives us. That's the carrot that he gives us. That is what it means when it says we'll slip away. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Solomon ought to know, she should have known when he first started to marry Pharaoh's daughter, somebody should have come up to him and said, uh, Solomon, I know you're really great and everything, and I'm really nervous right now telling you this, but there's a lot of really good-looking girls from Judah, really beautiful girls, and they're, they're a part of your family too. Why don't you, you know... But he had to go for the Egyptian. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and you've not kept my covenant... And my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Again, there's that cause and effect, that sowing and reaping. Because you have done this, I am going to do this. There's the condition, there's the, the, the cause and the effect. The cause was him doing this evil thing, and the effect is going to be God punishing him for it. I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. And, um, and the servant that he's talking about there in verse 11 is Jeroboam. We're going to see him a little bit later on. But notice in verse 12, nevertheless, I'm not going to do it in your days, Solomon, for the sake of David. Not even for the sake of you, but for the sake of your father whom I spoke to. And I told him that I would, I would do this in your son, David. And I'm... And, and, <laughs> And Solomon, I'm doing this through you, but because of my servant David and the promise that I made to him, I'm not going to do this in your lifetime. It's going to happen after you pass. However, I will not take the whole kingdom away. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, they, used, they, they would think of Judah and Benjamin really kind of as one tribe, okay? Even though it's really, he says one tribe, he's really meaning Judah and Benjamin and the, four, and the northern ten would be his servants that he's going to rip out of his hand. But he's going to wait until Solomon dies and then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to be the one to inherit 
Those two tribes in the south and Jeroboam, his servant that he spoke of, is going to have the ones up north, the ten up north. And, and again, just how faithful God is. And, and I love, and again, this is God's promise, because what did he tell David back in the Davidic covenant that you all have heard a lot by now? But in, in 2 Samuel 7, in verse 15, let me just read one verse. It says, but my servant, and this is God, again, reaffirming the covenant with David. He says, but my servant shall not depart from him, or I'm sorry, but my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. I'm not going to remove him like I remove, I'm not going to remove your son Solomon like I remove Saul. For your sake, David, I'm going to let him live and he's going to finish his life. And, and when he dies and his son takes over, that's when I'm going to bring the judgment. That's when I'm going to deal with this issue. And so the, verse 14, so the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite, he was a descendant of the king in Edom. Now, Edom is in the southwest or southeast of, of Israel. And for it happened when David was in Edom, and he's referring to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8. This is where this is referring to. For it happened when David was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months Joab remained there with all of Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. And Hadad fled to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. And Hadad was still a very little child. And so now this man has been hiding in Egypt. And now uh, David has passed. Solomon is in the middle of his reign. And now Hadad, being in Egypt, is now a grown man. And now he's going to come back. He's going to be a thorn in in his side, into Solomon's side. And God was going to keep him from having to go to war, but he would antagonize. So, he's, so you got Israel here, and now you've got Hadad up here, or I'm sorry, down here in Edom, and he's creating these problems in, in the southern border of, or of Israel. And then it gets even worse than this. It says, then they, then, then they arose from Midian uh, and, uh, and came to uh, to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave them a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tapanes. And then the sister of Tapanes bore him Ganubath, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ganubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. And so Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. So Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Let me go back to Edom now. And then Pharaoh said to him, but what have, what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? And he says, nothing, but just let me go away. And so he gathered men to him and he became a captain. Um... I'm sorry, I skipped verse 23. Let's go back to there. It says, and then God raised up. Now there's another adversary against him. Reason, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. This is now in the northern part of Israel, the northeast of Israel. So if you look at Israel here, now you've got this area of Zobah, which is in the area of Syria, and then now you've got, so he's raising up now and, and, and flexing his muscles, and now you've got this other guy that we were just reading about down in the south from Edom, now he's coming up. So now Solomon's 
land is now encompassed from the north and the south by these guys who are just flies. They're just annoyances. And they're, they're not coming in to just try to destroy because they'd probably be clobbered. But at the time, it was just an annoyance. And God was allowing it to get Solomon's attention. And so he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. And so then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this was the cause... For and this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo, which is a landfill there in Jerusalem. And he repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now the house of Joseph, remember, is uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh are the sons of Joseph, right? And so whenever you hear from now on the land, the land of Ephraim or the, uh, the northern ten tribes, it, it kind of goes by the name Ephraim. So when you hear Ephraim going forward speaking of the northern ten tribes, that's because that was, that was the predominant uh, tribe in the northern ten tribes. And, uh, and so now it happened, verse 29... When Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. And so Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself ten pieces.'" For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. Now, this was already spoken while Solomon was still alive. And so Ahijah meets him out in the field, meets Solomon, or meets uh, Jeroboam, excuse me, takes this robe that he has, tears it into twelve pieces, hands him ten pieces signifying the ten tribes of, in the north. He says, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe. Again, it was really two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. But they called it Judah, which um, spoke for really both of them. Take, um, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's tearing these twelve tri or ten tribes out of Solomon's hand after Solomon passes. This is why I'm doing it. And this is what he says. Because they have forsaken me, verse 33. And they've worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. They've worshipped Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. They've worshipped Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. How many times have we heard that now? At least four times. Verse 34, however, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of who? My servant David. Take good comfort in that. If you've really made a mess of your life and made some really bad decisions, the best thing for you to do is to confess and turn and follow the Lord with everything of your being, with every part of your being, and God will say, oh, I love that man. I love that woman. He will forget. Once you confess, he's going to take all that stuff that you've done and just go, 
I have a perfect memory and I can perfectly forget. And on the merits of the blood of my son, I choose to never recall those again. And Satan will bring them up, but I don't know where they are because my blood, my, the blood of my son covers them. So I can't see them any longer. They're gone. That's how wonderful it is. And that's the best thing you can do if you've really messed up. Make a 180 degree turn. That's what repentance is. It's thinking differently, turning the opposite direction and going in the opposite direction. That's what repentance really is. It's not playing fancy with the sin. It's turning from it and beating feet the other direction. Right? However, I will... uh, Oh, I said that. My my servant David, whom I have chosen. And uh, verse 35, But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand. His son, of course, will be Rehoboam. We'll read about him next week. And I will give it to you, the ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Notice, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. Isn't it interesting? And I know I'm keeping you hanging there with me. We're almost done. But don't you find it interesting that God says, this is my land? All I want is Jerusalem. All I want is Israel, and that's all I want. It's about the size of New Jersey. And the whole world gets ticked off when God says, this is my land, and I'm going to give it to a certain group of people. You can have all that other stuff. I mean, if somebody told me you can have New Jersey, I'd say, no thanks. But no offense if you're from New Jersey. My wife is from New Jersey, so I can say that. (laughs) So anyway. Isn't it amazing? God just wants to hold on to one sliver of land. Just that little piece. You can't even, you have to zoom in. You have to zoom in a lot to see it. Oh, there, okay. And the devil's like, oh, you can't have that. Well, just give me all of the United States. <gasps> no, it's, it's mine. All I want is this little sliver of land, the people in it. And what have we seen over the years? Just wars, wars, rumors of wars, killing, slaying, Israel's altar, the whole temple mount is filled with, I mean, think of how much blood has been shed on the temple mount, even before 1948. Verse 37, so I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desire, Jeroboam, and you shall be king over Israel and then it shall be, and here it is, here's, here's God giving to Jeroboam the same conditional promise that he gave to Solomon. In a nutshell, notice, circle these words, and then it shall be, this is verse 38, circle the word if. So, Jeroboam, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, keep my statutes, my commandments, as my servant David did, there it is again, goodness sakes, how many times is he going to mention David? They're probably going, David this, David that. Ay, ay, ay. So then, then, circle the word then, because then, if you do this, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for who? Joe? No, David. And will give Israel to you. Notice, again, the conditional promise. And do you think God knew in his heart that this man would be the most, one of the most evil men? It would be Jeroboam who would take, and we're going to find this later, he's going to set two images, one in Bethel and one in Dan. We, we actually visit the altar in Dan. It's still there. It's broken down, but we visit that altar. And they built sacrifice. They, they sacrificed children on that altar. And we go to that very same spot and see what he did in that same area. And from that moment on, all of the kings of Israel, the northern ten tribes, 
they never once turned away from their idolatry. That's why God led them into captivity first. In 721, he says, I've had it with you. Notice in verse 39, and I will afflict, and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. And Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Doesn't this sound very reminiscent of what we were just reading in Matthew recently, this last Sunday morning? How Mary and Joseph had to flee Bethlehem, they had to go into Egypt. And they had to wait there until God told them in a dream that Herod had died and those who were seeking to kill him. And then they, brought, then they were able to come back and then they went up to Nazareth. Very similar kind of thing. And now it comes to the final conclusion, the denouement, <laughs> the death of Solomon. Notice all the stuff that he did, all the wealth, all the fame, all the women, all the wine, all the song, all the stuff. So now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did in his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? So somewhere, somewhere, hopefully, wouldn't it be interesting, somewhere, maybe even in the Qumran area, you know, there's been so many earthquakes over the years in that area, perhaps somewhere under some huge monolith of rock, there's in some little, little encasement, perhaps this... The book of the Acts of Solomon hasn't been found yet, but the Bible tells us that it did exist, but we, nobody knows where it is. And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. And so we end with Solomon's life. And you think about it, we, we, we looked at 11 chapters of this man's life and it, we, we see the plot from the, from the very beginning, the exposition, the, the rising action, the climax, the falling action, and then finally his end, the conclusion of it all. And then for Solomon to write later on the book of Ecclesiastes after he's had all this fun in the world. And I would encourage you to read Ecclesiastes because that was a book that he wrote after he had had his flirting with the world and after how the Lord, I'm sure, humbled him very deeply as a result of that. I believe Solomon's in heaven, but he, he made some really bad mistakes. And you read Ecclesiastes and you find the, the, the heart of a man who has been broken, who realized that all the stuff that God had told him was true. And now he's even more wise, isn't he? But wiser it would have been for him to listen the first time Right? He didn't have to go through that, but he did, and God will use it. And isn't he using it? Because every time you read Ecclesiastes, folks, you're going to realize it doesn't pay to continue in sin. And he says, it's all vanity, it's all emptiness. It's all emptiness. And don't you know that as you get older? You know, as we get older, as you've been, and maybe you got saved later on in life, but I got saved when I was 24, but I, I got saved at a time where I had done a lot of evil, wicked things. Most people have. And I know those things. I wished I didn't have to know those things. I wish I didn't have to go down that road for me to learn. <laughs> Why couldn't I have just listened? And my life would have been so much better. My life, my heart would be less scarred. 
I'd be more valuable now to the Lord because I wouldn't have this baggage that, you know, that I had when I, you know, going through all of that. But isn't it true? Romans 8.28, God will work all those things to the good to them that love him. And we can use those things that we have really messed up on and, and, and we can, through God's grace, we can turn around and say, you know what, young person, and I look forward to having these relationships, these talks with my daughter. We're already starting to have them. We know what you're going through. We've been there. We've done that. We understand. You don't think we understand, but we really do. We've been through it. We've walked through it. And would you just listen, you know? And that's the heartache of every parent, isn't it? You tell your kids. You tell your grandkids the truth. You read to them. You make them accountable. And then you get the phone call at midnight on Saturday. And they did the exact opposite. <laughs> and now you've got to go pick them up somewhere. You've got to bail them out of jail. You've got to pick them up at some guy's house where he got drunk and he's driving a car and your daughter's in the car and she's freaking out. She finally gets to the house, makes the call. Dad, come pick me up. And then all the way on the drive home, you don't even have to say anything. Because in your heart, she already knows. She's made the best. She's going to have something to really hold on to. And she'll probably never, ever do that again. But isn't it a shame? God tells us. He tells us in advance. So you know what? Let's just uh, let's stand together and pray. Thank you for your patience. I know you're used to this by now. I don't mean to go long, but I could probably go shorter if I had my act together better. So forgive me. So Father, we just thank you. Uh, thank you for the warnings of the scripture, Lord. Thank you for the accountability that is there. And Father, help us to, uh, to learn the first time. Lord, even as adults, Lord, we, we've heard these things over and over again. And yet, Father, somehow we find our old nature, Lord, if we're not careful, that old nature wants to rear its head from time to time. And Lord, we got to smack it like a whack-a-mole. We got to hit it. Lord, don't ever let it rise again. And when it does, Father, help us to choose righteousness, to choose the right thing and to walk in truth and in righteousness, Lord. Would you please do that in myself and in my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord? And thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, you are so good to us. We could never deserve you, Jesus. And we are so blessed that you call us children. You call us your sons and your daughters. And you'll never look upon those sins ever again, Lord. You choose not to because, not of our good works, but because of the blood of Christ that covers us. Thank you and hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.